Well, we are going to conclude our series today, Do Life Differently. And uh, next week, we kick off a new series called Kings and Queens. And Pastor Dave is going to be talking about King Saul and uh, restraining uh, anger and jealousy. And uh, you don't want to miss that series that kicks off next week. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed this pattern over the last number of weeks as we've been going through this series. As we've talked about, uh, be confident, be mature, be at peace, be content. Uh, that pattern is really, these are internal qualities that are revealed by our actions. And today is really no different as we talk about be generous or generosity. Uh, generosity is that quality of uh, described as being kind and understanding and not selfish and a willingness to give to others. Think uh, uh, with me for a moment of a person who you would call generous. Why would you call them generous? What is it about them and why did they come to mind? As I would think about this myself, I was thinking about the uh, social media uh, post that I saw of a plumber who had uh, done some work for an elderly lady who was struggling with cancer. And on the invoice, he wrote this, no charge for this lady under any circumstances. We will be available 24 hours to help her and to keep her as comfortable as possible. Or maybe uh, what came to mind is, again, was I was on social media, was the uh, niece of the taxi driver who was tragically um, shot this uh, a week ago Friday or whenever you're watching a couple of weeks ago uh, and started up a GoFundMe page to help the family uh, through this time and even those people who generously are, do are donating towards that. And I think our passage to ponder really speaks to this uh, uh, as well as we think about generosity today and being generous. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God or a status with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, it says, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. And as we think about that passage, I think there is a pattern of generosity that, that we see in Jesus and his followers. If we think of Jesus, uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, uh, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. That pattern carries over into the first church. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 34, we see how they lived generously. And it says there, all the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything that they had. And later it says, there was no needy people among them. And that same pattern carries over into the church in uh, Philippi or the Philippian believers. And we read actually about them in Acts chapter 16, how they acted generously. When Paul first came to Philippi and it was, uh, he was on a mission to take the message of the good news of Jesus uh, to wherever God wanted him to go. And he goes over into the area called Macedonia and the first uh, city he arrives at is Philippi. And in that city, he meets Lydia, who is a, a merchant of expensive cloth. And when he meets her, he, he shares with her and preaches to her and shares the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And it says, she and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests, it says. 
and said, if you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. There was this generosity uh, expressed through her hospitality. Later on, and actually in that same uh, experience Paul has in the city of Philippi, after he had been in jail, and uh, miraculously there was this earthquake, and, and their uh, shackles uh, were released, and the, the jailer actually was about to kill himself because he thought, all of these prisoners are going to go free, and I'm going to be held responsible. And Paul stops him before he can do that. And the jailer uh, it says to look after him and brought him to their home, his home, so that Paul could speak to them about Jesus. And it says, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. He's talking about Paul and Silas. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And, and it goes on from there. But we see this, uh, this pattern of generosity that begins with Jesus and carries into the first church. And we see it here in the church in Philippi, Philippians. And Paul actually references these uh, Christians who are believers who are in Philippi when he writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 4, that we read this. Listen to this. He says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. And he's talking about the church in Philippi as one of those churches. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed with rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us, interestingly enough, again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And so it's no surprise as we focus in on our passage today on Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 and uh, through to the end of the chapter that we read, Paul writes this to them. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. And you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. And so again, it, it affirms for us this pattern of generosity that becomes apparent and really sets a precedent for believers that we express that. And I would go so far as to say today that that generosity is not optional. Uh, I would go so far as to say generosity has always been a mark of Christ followers that sets them apart. And so the challenge is for us, if you're uh, watching today and you're a believer, to be reminded there's this uh, non-optional thing of for us to express generosity, to be generous people. Now, if we enter into the equation, because at the same time, there is this pattern of greed in humanity. And, and we see it here even in the scriptures as we're reading. And so we first see it in the crowd and the disciples where Jesus sort of calls it out here in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24 and 31 to 32. He says, no one can serve two masters. And you're going, okay, who are these masters? He says, for you will hate one. And love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he lands on this and he says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's interesting that Jesus says there's these two masters, one is God and one is money, but you can't 
serve both of them. And then later on in the chapter, as I mentioned, he, he writes, don't worry about these things, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. There is this pattern in us as humans to be prone towards greed. We see it also in the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus challenges this, these uh, people who were so committed to the law, and yet they were missing the point. And Jesus says, Then Jesus said to the crowd and to the disciples, The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but, he says, don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. And then he speaks directly to these Pharisees and religious leaders. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites, you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. In other words, to make, to make everything look good on the outside, to make it look like you're following all the rules and the laws, you're doing everything and that everyone should look to you as the example of this. But inside, he says, you are filthy. And then he, then he nails it. He says, full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus, again, calls it out here. And we see this pattern of greed also in the city of Philippi among the business owners. Acts chapter 16 tells the story of how when, when uh, Paul went there, as he was preaching there, sharing the good news with the people, that there was this slave girl who came along and she would, uh, she would yell out to the crowd and say, follow these men, they are servants of the Most High God. And you'd think, you know, Paul would go, yeah, thank you for, the, uh, you know, for telling people, validating us with these people. But he, Paul recognized that she actually had this um, spirit that wasn't from God and uh, even a demon that was controlling her. Because it says in the scriptures there in, in Acts chapter 16 that she used to be a fortune teller and she was empowered by this demon to, to tell people their future. And the, the business owners in that city actually were profiting from her. So they were, uh, she was their slave and they would, people would pay them for her to tell their futures. And so they're making money off this girl. And finally one day it says, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated, he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly her, it, it left her. her. Her masters, listen to this, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. And actually, if you go on to read, it says a riot ensued from that. A mob quickly formed. They had them beaten with wooden rods severely, and then they were put in jail for the night. And the story continues on about how they met uh, the jailkeeper and he became a follower of Christ. The point of it is, is that greed is, there's this pattern of greed that is in us as humanity. I find it interesting because the reality is you never have to teach a child to be greedy. You can actually observe it regularly where times are, you know, siblings will, will take something from another sibling uh, and the other sibling will fight over it. And they're fighting over this little toy and, and they struggle more to share uh, than it comes easy for them. 
there's this natural greed that's in us and that comes with toys and even as they get older with their clothing and those sorts of things. But interestingly enough, it's not just our kids. We see it in adults and in leaders. I brought some of these things today and uh, if you think back to March uh, 2020, uh, some of these things that I have here today were the things that people were uh, were hoarding, right? There's toilet paper. And, and I remember going to the grocery store fi- trying to find some yeast. And uh, even recently, you know, canned food items at the grocery store. Uh, thankfully, people haven't been hoarding that. But there's this, uh, my point is there's this tendency for us to hoard, to to be greedy, to have to have what we think we might not have or to grab onto it and hang onto it and not let go of it. And Jesus has these words for us in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Think about that. We are prone to greed and to sin. Jesus warns us to guard ourselves against us, against this. So how do we, I guess the question today, how do we set up a pattern of generosity, as we've seen here uh, from what we've walked through today already, a pattern of generosity in our own lives? And I want to share a few things with you as you're watching today. One of them is give willingly. In Philippians chapter 4, these, uh, the, passages that, the passage that we're uh, talking and working through today um, is about generosity, but there's also a parallel passage we passages really that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. And so I'm going to reference back to that a little bit as we walk through this. But in Philippians 4, 17 to 18, it says this: I don't say this because I want a gift from you. In other words, uh, Paul had just told them, he was thanking them and saying, you know, you gave to me uh, when I first came to Macedonia. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent money to help me. And he's saying here, I'm not reminding you of this because I want a gift from you. He says, rather, I want you to receive a a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all that I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And then in 2 Corinthians, the passage says, Remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Give willingly. A couple of thoughts about this. When we give, we should give sacrificially uh, in thinking and self-denying ourselves. In other words, when we give Give willingly, but to the point of even where sometimes it costs. Our example of this is Jesus. As we were reminded earlier in our talk today, Jesus went to the cross. He gave everything for us. It cost him something. When we think about being generous and giving, it's important for us to consider what it might cost us to do it and to give to someone in need or to give uh, away or to help some, some uh, thing that we're giving towards, some cause. Another thing we want to think about as we think about giving willingly is that we're to do it in worship to God. Uh, Hebrews 13, uh, 15 and 16 sort of adds to what Paul already said. He says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God 
proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And, and oftentimes we quote that when we think about worshiping God in a, in a gathering or singing. He says, but and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. See, our worship is not just singing. Our worship is actually in how we give and when we give generously. And when we lean into God, it's, it's not just about what comes out of our mouth. Sometimes it's about what comes out of our wallet or what we do with our hands or how we, uh, the words that we speak to help people and to be generous in giving to them. Finally, when we think about giving willingly, we are to give with no strings attached, no expectation of return, no ulterior motive. And I like what Jesus says in Matthew 6. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Uh, this is important for us. I think that we don't uh, sort of have this measuring tool where we go, okay, I need to measure and make sure I get uh, uh, rewarded or I get some kind of acknowledgement for the giving that I do. Jesus says, are you giving without being and uh, receiving acknowledgement? Do you have strings attached by what you do? And I like what Ad uh, Pastor Adrian Rogers says. God doesn't need us to give him or money, or to give generously, because he owns everything. God just challenges us to give, and to give willingly. Uh, the second part to this is to give uniquely. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 talks about this. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. So he's talking about, uh, you know, all of us giving equally in, in what we're able to do. He said, right now you have plenty and can help those in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you are in need. It should be equal. And that's this idea of giving uniquely, that we all can do something. And the first part to that that I want to mention when we think about giving uniquely is that we should give out of conviction. What does that mean? It means that we're not uh, giving out of guilt or compulsion or comparison, but that there's this inner conviction that comes when we give. You know, sometimes when we watch certain commercials and they appeal for us to give, whether it's to uh, children who are starving or, and struggling or don't have proper uh, nutrition or food and water, or sometimes it's uh, animals who are suffering and people want to give. Other times people, uh, not so much these days, but they do come to your door and asking for donations. Or sometimes there's that booth at the mall and, uh, and people are there. I find myself oftentimes when, when I'm approached uh, or confronted with that, that I even have a hard time making eye contact uh, because there's this sense of guilt, like I should, uh, some, should I do something? And I think sometimes that we we uh, do those things out of compulsion, that we just go, oh, I feel guilty. I have to do something in this moment. And, and that's sort of why those, uh, those appeals can be effective when raising money. But I wonder sometimes if at the moment we should sort of step back, you know, and, and after walking away or from watching that commercial or being approached or passing that booth where they're appealing for a donation for, for a cause that's appropriate, 
that we shouldn't ask ourselves and pray this prayer. Lord, should I be doing something more? See, then we're able to experience that conviction of going, okay, yeah, I should do something more. Or no, I, I don't feel any need for that at this moment in time. Not though those aren't worthy causes, but I think we need to be moved by uh, conviction, that inner conviction. The other part to this of giving uniquely is that it should be based on our resources, our circumstances, and our opportunities. So my question for you that relates to this is what is it that you have to give and what is it that I have to give now? You know, maybe you're going through a season where it's been difficult for you because of things that have happened in your life and, uh, and, and you're just sort of making it. It's not that we shouldn't be generous. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But there are seasons when we have more that we're able to do more and we should do that. And there are seasons when we don't have as much. We should do, still do something, but it should be you know, sort of like in, uh, in a ratio to what we have, they're what we're able to do so that we can help people. I think the other part to this is to keep in mind that generosity is not just about money and giving away money. It's uh, what kind of skills do we have? What words do we have that we can say to someone to encourage them? Are we generous with our words and how we speak to others and or maybe sending them a text or sending an email to tell someone how much we appreciate them or expressing to them what they mean to us. Sometimes we've got skills that we're able to help. And, and uh, just about a, a week ago or so, I was approached by a gentleman who said, you know, if you, if you know of a, a single mom in need and there's something we can do to help, he, he said, reach out to me because I want to help to, to coordinate that. I want to help to see how we can help uh, people who are in need and express generosity. Sometimes it's just taking the things we have and uh, wisely lending them to someone in need in an appropriate manner. So that, you know, that's something that we can do. And, and we saw it even in the past couple of weeks where people were out with their snowblowers, you know, blowing people's uh, uh, driveways and, and sidewalks and those sorts of things. There's lots that we can do, and we can be unique about it, and it's as unique as we are. So my question again is, what is it that you have today or now to give? Uh, I like what uh, Pasquale Russo, Business Solutions uh, founder, and uh, from his website, uh, OD, uh, odpsolutions.com, he says, the reality is everybody has their own way of giving, and it could be time, talent, or treasure. Well, let's keep going here. How else do we uh, live out this pattern of generosity? We can give relationally. Now, stay with me here, and I, I want to unpack this and so that you get a good grasp of what this means, and we're going to go back to one of the verses or passages we read before. Paul says to the Philippians, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. And we see from, as we read these verses, that Paul has this close relationship with the Philippians. They were connected in some way. Maybe it was because Paul this had this affinity to them because they were the sort of the first church that uh, he planted when he went into that area of Macedonia that he had been called to, 
to go to. When he was seeking direction from God where to go, God directed him to there, and they were the, the first group, the first church. Maybe as well it was because they committed to give to him, not just when he was with them, but when he continued on to other churches to help them. But we know there was this close partnership that they had, and I want to land on that. This, they had this fellowship or partnership. They had this close connection. And I think it's important when we think about giving relationally that we think about who are the people, who are the, uh, the ministries that maybe we're connected with or the church that we go to that we have this close relationship with. We should feel this sense of partnership. We should feel this sense of trust and belief in, in what uh, the work that people are doing and, and whatever that looks like. And, and there's many different things for that. But we should believe in it. And in believing that, we sh- there should be this generosity that comes from our life that comes out of that relationship to, uh, to invest in it. When we think about uh, uh, ministries and churches, it really is an investment. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes from now. But it's also about accountability. It's building relationships with accountability. And and it's interesting here because when you read through the passage, you see, and as you go into the book of Acts, there was always this accountability when it came to giving. In fact, Paul uses receipt terminology when he he talks about the gifts that they had given to him through uh, one of the mutual contacts that they had. He acknowledges that receipt of what they had sent to him. And so there's this accountability, and I think that's an important part when we think about giving and and thinking about how are the resources that we are entrusting to people or ministries or uh, churches being used and that connection that we have so that we can have this trust and belief. That's why I'm so excited about the uh, global and local outreach partners that we have here at King Street. And and we commit to them every year to give, but we have this relationship with them and this accountability with them and, we, and we're involved in their work and the best we can. And even though some of them are in Africa and other parts of the world, we still are able to partner with them because of the relationship that we have, because that builds that partnership. Clearly, uh, as Mark Allen Powell, a New Testament scholar says, clearly Paul wants to emphasize for the Philippians that we are all in this together. Okay, we're going to continue with this pattern of generosity. I have one more thought, and then we're going to dive into deeper in the application here, what we can do with this. I think the other part, too, is this pattern is to give intentionally. As uh, Paul writes, as we read earlier, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. When I think about giving intentionally, I think about giving wisely and thoughtfully. How can I best help someone or some ministry or some church and and just do it? Have I thought about it and prayed about what God wants me to do? Have I discussed with, you know, if uh, with my spouse, you know, in, uh, in, in our giving, have I discussed with our family how we can give? And then making a decision and then actually doing it. One of the things that comes out of this as we talk about generosity is obviously uh, the idea of tithing. And that's that ten, taking 10% of our income and willingly giving it first to our local church out, out of our desire to please God and to worship God. 
When we do that practice, I think it really changes our perspective. And, and we're acknowledging that God, we are trusting Him as our source. And so because of that, we take that, you know, that 10% and we give it and we let it go. And knowing that God is, that's what God wants us to do. And I tell you that today, not because, you know, I have some sort of um, kickback that I get for, for uh, money raised, but more importantly, as Paul, I think, points out here to the Philippians, he wanted them to experience what God would do when they would give. See, I think when we learn to be generous, when we learn to give intentionally, wisely, and thoughtfully, and, and the other aspects of what we've talked about already today, is that God, in return, blesses us for that generosity and doing what he wants us to do. I like what Brad uh, Formsma says, and if you haven't checked out any of his stuff, you need to do that. He wrote a book called I Like Giving, and he has a podcast called The Wow Factor. He says, opportunities for generosity exist all around us every day. The sooner we begin to adopt the habit of generosity, the more impactful your lifestyle of generosity will be. All right. So one last thought I want to give you before we go to the $5 challenge, which I'm, we mentioned briefly last week that we were going to do today. And this is what I call the giving and receiving principle. When we go back to Philippians 4 in these verses, he talks about how uh, the uh, Philippians shared with him, uh, no church did this for him except them. And, and one of the versions says that they share, you shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. And Paul goes on to say, you know, even to them, I have everything I need. You don't need to give more. Uh, I want you to receive the reward for your kindness from God. And again, he writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, he writes, And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. And in our passage today, it says, uh, Paul even says, and may this same God who takes care of me, may he supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So what is the giving and receiving principle? It's this. We are to recognize that when we give, God responds. God keeps a record, or literally the terminology here is ledger. Paul's, uh, God sees when we give, and he, he keeps record of it, but he also blesses us with what we need, both now and as we think of our, you know, our future in eternity. God responds when we give, and that's why it's so important. But we also are to recognize this, that when we are in need, it's okay to ask for help. And that when we are given a gift, we are to receive that gift from the person who's giving it to us with thankfulness and graciousness because God has maybe moved in their hearts to give to us. And so this giving and receiving principle comes down to this. All, God wants all of us to give and to receive. There are times when God... in convicts us about giving and, and stirs in our heart to give to someone in need. And we need to respond and do that. We need to do that generously and be watching for those opportunities. But there's also times in our life that we need to be willing to ask for help, but also to receive help. 
I think sometimes, in fact, I know this because of this principle, that we actually rob people, others from the opportunity when we say, no, don't give. I find it interesting in Mark chapter 12 in, in, with this, that Jesus acknowledges the poor woman in the temple. There's a, Jesus points out to the disciples this poor woman who's in the temple and she's giving her last two small coins or her, or her mite, they, as it was called. She's putting them in there and Jesus acknowledges, you know, the rich and the, and the teachers of the law, they've given out of what they have. They have so much and they haven't, it hasn't cost them much to give. But this poor widow, she has given, she's sacrificed and Jesus acknowledges them. But he never stops her from giving. He doesn't walk over to her and say, no, no, you keep that. You, you need that to survive. No, he acknowledges that she's given sacrificially. And this is I, this idea. God wants all of us to give and to receive. And so here comes the challenge. As I was mentioned before, the $5 challenge. The idea of this challenge is to sort of stimulate generosity in you and I. Uh, this challenge in, in a, a church that I was at before, we did the same challenge over a few years, but it was started with the uh, desire to stimulate generosity at this time of the year when people sometimes are the least likely to be generous. You know, we've come through the Christmas season and there's so much generosity that happens and it. I find that as we get into January and even February that there's this less likelihood to be generous, generous with people or uh, we can be generous. Uh, have more greed or, you know, captivated by that because we've given so much and maybe we overgave and, and we're trying to pay off our credit card bills, which is never a good idea to do that. But we are less likely to give during that season. This is to challenge you to do more. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this $5 bill or maybe your debit card and take $5 from it. And I want you to use it to help someone in need or to appreciate or to show thanks to them for what they've done. Or maybe you may want to find how you can take this $5 bill, this $5 that you may have in your bank account, and multiply it or put it together with the $5 that other people have to do more for someone in need. There's so much more you can do with this. And what we're going to do is next... Uh, into this next week or whenever you're watching this video, we're going to send out an anonymous link uh, by our e-news, either Monday or Tuesday. And what we want you to do is, <coughs> as you respond and fill out, uh, respond to this $5 challenge, we want you to go on there and anonymously, and this is important, anonymous, anonymously fill out the form and tell us what you did with that $5 so that we can share and encourage and stimulate others to give. So my question for you is, will you respond to this challenge today as an opportunity for us, for you and for me, to be generous? To help you with that today, I do want to finish with a prayer and pray for you today. And so let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your amazing love for us. Jesus, I thank you that you came and limited yourself to a human body Set aside, though you were fully God, fully man still, but you set aside that equality for those time, for that time, and not to use uh, all of that, but to really to limit yourself to a human body, but also to give yourself. 
You gave all. It cost you everything as you came and gave your life to pay the penalty for our sin. You have been so generous to us. And so, Father, I pray for those who are watching today that as we hold this $5 bill in our hand or our debit card, God, I pray that you would help us to be generous people. I pray that you would help us who are rich in so many ways when we compare ourselves with the rest of the world, that we who are rich would give out of the abundance you've given to us, that together we would follow this pattern of generosity. And I pray that each of us would take this and do something with this, but more importantly than that, that you would stimulate generosity in us and that, God, you would show us that how we can make a difference in other people's lives by even the smallest little thing and that you would stir that generosity in us so that we would become different people and that we would follow your pattern of generosity. I thank you, God, for the impact that we're going to make through these $5 bills. Lord, out of generosity today, I also pray for our brothers and sisters at Apostolic Pentecostal Church in Pickering. We ask that you would bless them today Lord, we ask that you would provide all that they need, God, that you would uh, stir in them the work of generosity as they reach out to their community, as they give uh, to help that church to accomplish the mission that you've called them to do. And we pray that you would accomplish great things and bless them in the work that we're doing. And we thank you, God, that we are all in this together to make a difference, to advance your kingdom, to learn to be generous, and to follow your example. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.